The Start On Demand. On demand. We continued our conversation today on what happened on Wednesday at the U.S. Capitol building and asked the question, what would have happened if the protesters were black? We spoke to a security expert on what we are learning about the security failures on Capitol Hill, and we spoke with former Blue Bomber Milt Stiegel about a letter from his son's school on what happened in Washington, D.C. Level red restrictions expire at midnight, but... It's unlikely that much is going to change. We'll check in with the Retail Council of Canada to find out how they're doing. And we spoke to the bad breath doctor on mask breath. I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Friday, January 8th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, it is Friday, so of course we're going to have some fun today, but we do need to continue the conversation on the Capitol protest, call it whatever you'd like, but uh, one of the, the inescapable things that I saw on social media all day Wednesday, all day yesterday, uh, there was one image in particular, Loren, and it was uh, the words tear gas and free pass on the left were police accosting Black Lives Matter protesters, and on the right were the white protesters who invaded the Capitol. Yeah, and finally, yesterday, uh, U.S. President-elect Joe Biden came out and said it's the inescapable truth that when you look at how protesters, or that mob was treated at Capitol Hill Wednesday versus how many people protesting um, during Black Lives Matter protests and anti-racism protests were treated that you, you can't help but see the disparities and it's obvious and it's there and he he was disgusted he said by the different treatment of, of different groups and so we need to have that conversation I know many many people took to social media to say the same thing long before uh, Biden spoke out yesterday but at 745 we're going to talk to someone who was protesting in Winnipeg peacefully we held our own peaceful demonstration back in June about his thoughts of watching things unfold uh, as a black man living in Winnipeg and just the, the issues both south of the border and here that clearly still exist that we need to deal with. And so it's an extremely important conversation to have. It, was, it, it really is. If you head to globalnews.ca, our website has a story of up right now about the differences that were witnessed uh, Wednesday. And the headline is actually mega versus BLM photos show stark contrast in police response to unrest. And when you just look at the contrasting photos, it's hard to believe people broke into Capitol Hill and were able to take selfies and pose with different items um, and relics and, and, and then walk out versus tear gas and pepper spray and, in some cases, beatings, right? Selfies with police officers in some cases and photos of... <sighs> The, uh, the Civil War flag being marched into the rotunda through the halls of Congress. And can you imagine that, how that must feel for some Americans? And Brett, do you remember when the most non-patriotic or unpatriotic thing that you could possibly imagine doing was kneeling for the national anthem as yeah. a National Football League player? Yeah, yeah, that's that's just it. These uh, a lot of these people are those who were vocally opposed to that particular situation, and but it's okay to to storm the Capitol and and smile and laugh about it. And then at eight thirty seven, Greg, we're going to talk to Milt Stiegel, uh, but we're not talking about football today. No, we certainly aren't uh, along the same lines of the conversation that Loren's been outlining for you, and and you brought it up yesterday. Just this whole notion of what can we learn from this. Uh, Milt Stiegel's son, uh, the president of his school, put out a message with regard to what happened on Wednesday and what's to be learned and how can we all learn from this and how do we move forward from it? Because I think we had these conversations, Loren, certainly on 9-11. We've had them after Columbine. We've had them after these mass shootings at schools in the United States and around the world, unfortunately. How do we talk to our kids about this? Well, how do we talk to our kids 
about what happened Wednesday in the U.S. Capitol, in the Capitol building, in the halls of Congress, in the halls and on the floor of Senate. Uh, how, how do we talk to our kids? How do we move forward and help them with that? I don't know about you and your house, Greg, but I know the TV's on often here to different news channels and, and the kids came home from school yesterday and so it was flashing a series of images and they said, is that still the Capitol Hill stuff? Is that happening again today? And I said, no. And then they said, why are they so mad? And you're trying to explain these really complex feelings that people are having, but it's, but it's pretty cut and dry in the sense of, um, you know, for an eight, nine, 10 year old about, being better people and how can we all teach the next generation to do better and what does leadership look like so wow it's heavy but uh as kelly butler said to me in a text last night he's like i'm hoping to inspire you this morning and so i look forward to that because he always has such great things to say that really can make us think but maybe also just set us on a path to all of us doing better and this kind of leads into our conversation at 6.45 that we're going to have because in our next segment we're going to talk about Level Red and what's happening with restrictions and with what happened on Wednesday. You know, a lot of people are already making jokes online about, I'd like to, okay, I've, I've tried my seven-day free trial for 2021. I'd like to return it. Like, you know, a lot of us are, are once again down. We need to pick me up. Greg, Mayor Brian Bowman has pitched something rather interesting. Yeah, it comes from the mayor of London, Ontario's suggestion that we keep our Christmas lights on till the end of the month. Yeah. A pretty simple thing, right? I've been uh, buying on for about seven years. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Turned on, Loren. <laughs> I know you don't take them off your house, but you're leaving them oh, on. Oh, no, they're on. Oh, they're... they are on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, they're just these pot lights like that we, we screwed in at Christmas several years ago. Red, green, red, green across the front of the house. Very and now good. they're just up all the time. So it's Christmas all the time when, it, when the lights go on around here. I love here. the but, strategy. But the bigger point is, what do you do? to bring cheer to bring some light into your lives when you're down so we're going to talk about that at 6:45. whether it's you know you're just having a bad day and you need an immediate pick me up or if you're having a tough time and you, you do you have a strategy do you have a tip what do you do do you go to a dog park for example i don't have a dog but i always kind of wonder like would it be okay if i just went to a dog park and hung out, sat on a bench as all the dogs went by because i know that would make me super happy although it might be kind of creepy But we start this half hour with the siege of the U.S. Capitol, described as a total failure of security. Yeah, the article at uh, CBS.com goes on to say the political violence at the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday after law enforcement officers were overrun by a mob of Trump supporters was, quote, a total failure of security. This according to Michael Morrell, CBS News senior security contributor and former CIA acting director, Loren. Yeah, many people weighing in on what was witnessed Wednesday and how it happened. And so to learn more, we're joined now by Paul Violas, who's the law enforcement and security analyst with CBS. His book, Safeguarding America, comes out next month. And we want to wish you good morning, Paul. Oh, good morning. It's the question I think you've been asked probably repeatedly, and we've certainly heard it here on our station here in Winnipeg. How did this mob manage to get inside the U.S. Capitol building, Paul? You know, that's a multifaceted question and response. So let me start by explaining to your listeners with the uniqueness of, of, of the Capitol. The U.S. Capitol Police report to Congress. Now, this is entirely unlike any other federal law enforcement agency in the United States. They do not report to the president meaning that this federal law enforcement agency is the only one responsible to the legislative branch. The big picture there, that means that the United States Congress is responsible for crisis management, crisis response planning and training and implementation. So where I see uh, our, so many of our elected officials, t- uh, yesterday, last several days today, pointing fingers, they need to point fingers at themselves because they're the ones that were responsible for, one, taking in the intelligence that clearly said weeks prior that this was going to happen, and two, the staffing involved and the response protocol. So uh, clearly the investigation has begun. The internal decisions need to be examined as to who was responsible, what they did and what they did not do, what the police response was like, etc. Why did it take so long to dispatch the National Guard? That's just poor, that's just poor administration. I mean, there's absolutely no other way of looking at that. Now, you've got the mayor of D.C. who's much more concerned with keeping her job than doing her job. 
And she's much more concerned with politicizing everything than really understanding how to preemptively mitigate risk and to manage the nation's capital. So why it took her so long? I think that's a question only she can answer. But that was just really poor management. You mentioned preemptive. Donald Trump was making noise about this gathering January 6th and early December. This has been on the radar for a long time for a lot of people, Paul. How did... How was the Capitol not prepared in a similar fashion to what we saw around Lafayette Square and uh, the White House back in the summertime? That's And again, it's a great question, and it's a question that I am presenting to our Congress right now, and I want an answer. Uh, and stop pointing fingers. And this is the problem that we have in the United States. Well, it's one of the many problems we have in this country. But one in particular is that we have far too many elected officials that just want to keep their job instead of do their job and take responsibility. Congress is responsible for Capitol Police. Capitol Police were responsible to protect the Capitol building. This failed. The answer to your question lies within the individuals that have the legal and administrative responsibility of making the decisions to protect the integrity of the building and its occupants. That is the only way that we are going to get an answer to that question. It's going to have to come from the people that were were guarded and charged with making that decision frustration i think being felt right around the world as people watch these images from washington paul so i can only imagine how you're feeling when it's happening in your backyard and you're taking a look at how and asking all these questions but one of the big ones too is you know there seemed to be a a difference in attitude Uh, you know there was images of people taking selfies with some of the police officers and and that's not all of them i know those were only some pictures but it, it seemed to almost not be taken seriously by some when they when they stormed in and started behaving the way they were Right. I, and, and you know what, Lorraine, I think that's really that, that's that's the result of a couple of things. One, what we need to understand and, and the, the world needs to understand is that this didn't just happen. This is the result of poor or almost zero leadership on both sides of the aisle from elected officials and, and with their loquacious and bombastic behavior over the last several years. So the second part about that is that. And what, what the investigation is going to unveil is, is that clearly there were protesters there from what we refer to as protesters for hire. No question that you know, the, the majority were uh, and appear to have been Trump supporters. But there were a fair share of Antifa infiltrators and those that are getting paid, believe it or not, paid, which is disgusting, to go and wreak havoc. They didn't wear masks. They stood and took pictures because they wanted to get caught. They wanted to, they really wanted to send that message. So, yeah, was there a different vibe to this? Part of it, part of it was listening to people on the ground. And some of my colleagues that were on the ground in law enforcement's capacity were telling me that individuals were saying, this is our building, meaning the Capitol, and we're taking it back. That, that is, it's, it makes me think, you know, the, the emblematic nature of occupying the Capitol far exceeds the physical damage. And, and so much of that speaks to really a lack of preparedness and, and the manner in which we knew the demographic that was, we still, we still as a country did not protect that iconic building. Paul, before we let you go, uh, do we know if there were any off duty police officers as part of that mob? No, 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 we don't. And, and, and quite frankly, that's not going to shake out for weeks and possibly even months. The internal, and, and so everyone understands, the internal investigation is, has already begun. Now, that, that's going to start with uh, who the decision makers were in Congress that were responsible for this, and the police response and the, and, and the use of force, the, the monitoring of the CCTV coverage and the facial recognition uh, with respect to those that we were able to track, witness interviews, et cetera. So, there's a lot. Let's just put it this way. There's far more we don't know at this point than what we do know. The answers to those questions will be coming forth with, and I would expect that in the weeks and possibly even a month to come. And that might include, Paul, who some of these protesters were. And I don't want to discount what you're saying, but from what I've read, they, most outlets have discounted claims that Antifa protesters were, were part of this or behind this. You've, you've learned otherwise? Yeah, I know for a fact that's, that's just simply not true. But unfortunately... I think that's just a blatant and overt example of the bias that, that and it's, it's shameful, of the bias that American media has implemented over the last several years. Uh, I don't know why we got away from journalism. I mean, what a concept, right? Tell the truth. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Just tell the truth. No agenda. 
And, you know, so unfortunately, that's just not the case. I do know, and my sources, which are in, incredibly reliable, um, have said that that's just not the case. Paul Violas, law enforcement and security analyst with CBS. His book, Safeguarding America, comes out next month. Paul, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Much appreciated, sir. Yes, sir. Entirely my pleasure. Have a wonderful day. Greg found this tweet from Mayor Brian Bowman that reads, Our community can use a little more light right now. Calling on Winnipeggers to join Canadians all across our beautiful country and keeping our holiday lights going until the end of January. Thank you to Kitchener Mayor uh, at Barry Online for starting this great initiative. And it shows a picture of the tree uh, brightly lit in front of Winnipeg City Hall. So that got us thinking, you know, what do you do when you need to add some light to your life to brighten your spirits? So let's go around the horn here. We've got Cam Poitras in the sports booth, Jeff Forte in Master Control, Skylar Peters at home. And Skylar, why don't we start with you? Because we had a Microsoft Teams meeting the other day, and it looked like you had just gotten out of bed. And uh, sitting beside you, though, was uh, your poochie. Yeah, Stella, that's definitely the... Uh, that was what I was going to say would be the thing that uh, cheers me up. I don't, like... I don't know if any dog can really be in a bad mood, maybe like some of the more aggressive dogs, but she's just like a lovable golden retriever. So uh, I think they they definitely know when you're, you know, not having a good time, right? They seem to like come on over and like, like rub their nose against you or something like that. So usually just uh, take her for a walk or uh, cuddle up with her on the couch for sure. Um, but shout out to Mayor Bowman because I didn't really want to take down the Christmas lights anyway. So the longer I can go without doing that, I'll, uh, I'll take all advantage of that. So thank you very much. Do you have a dog park that you take Stella to? Yeah, uh, right. Actually, right by my place. Um, all I have to do is like go out the front door. I live in like a condo complex of townhomes. Um, take a right go like 30 feet and uh, I think they're building a soccer field on it. I live in Bridgewater, so it's not like complete yet, but right now it's just a big empty space. I could uh, throw her uh, little tennis ball on the chuck it like as hard as I can. I can't even get like halfway across the field. So it's perfect. Awesome. Cam Poitras. What about you, sir? Uh, why? Well, I've been doing, I've been painting. I've been writing. I've been uh, playing video games, um, you know, watching like a movie from your childhood or your favorite movies. That always that always makes you feel better. Uh, just sort of the nostalgia about that. But just like keeping busy, keeping my mind busy. Um, that's 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 what I've been up to. And that's what's been helping me and, you know, get through these covid times. What and all video that. games are you playing? Oh, goodness. Uh, I'm playing Destiny 2 right now. It's free to play. I also was. Uh, I was playing this really weird game called Death Stranding. If you know anything about Kojima, this uh, guy who did like the Metal Gear Solid games, I'm not sure if you do, but uh, no, uh, yeah, I'm, so. I've, he's a weirdo. It's so weird. At, at Donkey Kong 64. Oh, that's so. a good. That's a good game. A great game. Um, and uh, what else? I was also playing the Final Fantasy VII uh, remake. So, shout out to all those. Uh, video gamers out there like I myself. have the original Final Fantasy for my Nintendo Entertainment System. Oh, Final Fantasy 1. That yeah. came out like in the 80s. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's so weird with video games. Uh, like I have an Xbox 360, so I'm, I'm quite far behind. And my dad has a PS4, so... <laughs> oh, yeah. Your dad's got the latest... St- oh, there's a PS5 now, though, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. Okay. That's brand new, though. And just got to quickly ask you this, Cam. What are you painting? Oh, anything that comes into my mind. I don't know. I just kind of just uh, say, oh, I'm feeling a little blue today. I'm feeling a little green, a little bit of red, some black, and then I just go... go I, just whatever <laughs> comes out of my head, honestly. Pull out the green and then paint up some... Some happy little trees. Well, yeah, you know what? Every little tree needs a friend. You know me. Every little I tree feel like needs a friend. I'm picturing anyone else picturing him in, a, in like a beret and that little palette thing. And well, I, sort of, yeah, suddenly there's a on. French accent. I'm not sure why. <laughs> do you ever Probably put like a paint, bandana on? Too. Do you ever put paint on your beard and then mash that up against the the, the uh, canvas? You know, I, I'm just uh, I'm not into that postmodern art sort of thing. I, I try to keep it uh, you know between the lines, I guess. So I've never done anything crazy like that. But uh, maybe hey. Why, why not? Maybe one day I'll be feeling it and I'll just go for it. Loren McNabb, what do you do? Eat chips. Yes! And- <laughs> well, I do that too. I do that as well. <laughs> There's a lot of grazing that goes on, but I have to say, you know, you talked about going to the dog park, Brett, and so because we have less things going on, we have more time after school to do things with the kids. And so, for example, yesterday, it was so refreshing to just get outside and we hit uh, the nearest hill, which in our neck of the woods is the dike around St. Adolph, and um, 
went tobogganing and it was so much fun and falling down and crazy carpets and running, you know, it, it just watching them laugh and have fun and come up with funny games really just is a... Uh, lightens the load that you might be carrying some days. Yeah, that sounds great. Mackling, what do you do? Well, I, I think that I drove past there the other day. I dropped off a couple things at your house, Loren, and I went back towards uh, Highway 75. Is that where everybody gets together to toboggan in that neck of the woods? Because yeah. <laughs> uh, holy crow, it was jam-packed the other day. Yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, I love to shred stuff. So that's been my new therapy is shredding old bills and old documents and papers and stuff that just weigh me down otherwise. And then uh, the thing that I'm looking forward to very much is I'm involved now in a hockey fantasy league, a fantasy hockey league with my old friends from the Okanagan Valley. There's about 20 guys in this league. It's a keeper league. We have a draft coming up this weekend. And so I'm reconnecting with uh, some friends that I haven't seen for five years and really haven't had a genuine relationship in 20 years. So I'm really looking forward to that, to trash talking those guys and, and having some fun as the NHL gets under way next week so th- that that should uh lift my spirits a little bit i'm running out of stuff to shred forte what about you what do you do when you need to pick me up oh i uh actually i look up gifs or gifs i look the <laughs> stupidest ones i can find like the most <laughs> stupidest ones and i send them to my friend's group message and i just wait for the response <laughs> <laughs> nice and as long as i get a wtf jeff <laughs> That's then a victory. <laughs> yeah, that's then, a win. Then, then I win. <laughs> I feel good. Do you keep like a running tally? Oh, no, but I'm the only one who sends them out, and I just wait for the responses. <laughs> okay. Nice. Yeah, uh, for me, the, the, the easiest and quickest thing that I can do is just if I need, if I'm not feeling happy, I'll just try to go for a walk, get some fresh air, I'll put on the headphones, and then I'll put on uh, some music, something like this, some uh, Let's Groove by Earth, Wind, and Fire, you know, like some purposefully happy music as opposed to like, you know, if I put on Rage Against a Machine or something, well, that, that's just going to fuel my anger and make me want to smash my way through the neighborhood. Smashing so. pumpkins? Yeah. So <laughs> I, this, I put something on like this. So text us at 204-780-6868, the stuff that you do to pick yourself up when you're down, when you're feeling blue, when you're feeling gloomy. What do you do? But we start this hour with the pandemic because, yes, we should learn later today how much longer, how much longer Manitobans will be living, Loren, under level red restrictions. We know the current public health order expires at midnight, but the expectation is that it's going to be extended and we will hopefully get more information in the hours ahead today. But there's still lots of questions about how long will there be any amendments or adjustments to it and and what's the future holding? John Graham is the Director of Government Relations for the Retail Council of Canada for the Prairie Region and joins us now. Good morning, John. Hey, good morning, Loren. Well, thanks for taking the time. I know it's an early start, but there's a lot of uh, people waiting on pins and needles to to hear what's going to happen in the days and weeks ahead. John, what are you hearing from government? Yeah, our full expectation is that it will be extended. uh, To understand the rationale behind extending it uh, as we wait for the holiday bump and see if any additional COVID cases come from Manitobans who gathered and completely ignored the the orders that have been in place. But, uh, you know, this is you know, five of 12 months that retailers have been closed or heavily restricted, and we're on, I think, day 67 now of the, the current uh, restrictions. And so uh, lots of retailers are eager to reopen and serve their customers. John, we had a little bit of a discussion about this yesterday and the whole notion that we're two weeks removed from qu- Christmas and, of course, a two-week incubation period for COVID-19 is one that we're fairly familiar with. So there have been suggestions and, and sort of that whole question mark if if that was a demarcation point with regard to COVID-19 and its spread, and you just mentioned it, get-togethers over Christmas. Why did these Code Red restrictions end today? It, it might have been a little bit more beneficial for them to perhaps stretch into maybe next Friday, and then we would have some reasonable evidence as to whether or not we're going to experience a bump from those uh, gatherings that weren't supposed to take place. Yeah, that, for sure, Greg. I think what we're seeing across Canada is that uh, uh, restrictions are extending into at least mid-January. And I don't think we really want to see a false start either where stores reopen and then two weeks later have to do this whole nightmare all over again. And uh, 
so if we and what I'm encouraged about is I'm seeing the government look at days rather than blocks of weeks for extensions. You know, it, it may be a week, maybe two, it may be longer, depending on what the numbers look like. But at least there's a real sensitivity and a desire to see retail stores start to reopen to some you know, restricted capacity, but get stores reopened uh, as soon as possible. And that's at least encouraging. Manitoba's vaccine rollout has been criticized over the past few days. Are there frustrations within the business community over how slow it's going? Well, I, I think that um appreciate it's partly dependent on supply, uh, but uh, we're seeing provinces like Alberta embrace the private sector for the rollout, uh, and confidence in consumers is going to be, we believe, very late to the, the percentage of uh, Manitobans vaccinated. And so uh, if the government can look at ways to speed that process up as quickly as possible, that that's really important for getting Manitoba's back into not only retail stores, but into restaurants, movie theaters and gyms and other uh, places that are important to our province. Yeah, we've got hairstylists, we've got tattoo operators, all sorts of people waiting to see if they can open hopefully sometime soon if the numbers go down. And I understand what you're saying, John, in terms of having to respect the, the health argument and try to get this under control. But as we wait for those numbers to come down, how many businesses have you heard from in the last 60 plus days, as you mentioned that might never open again. Well, that's a real, real concern for us is that uh, uh, if we don't see stores uh, open soon, there's there's increasing numbers of jobs that just won't come back, stores that won't come back. And uh, uh, we know already that there's permanent closures. The uh, Boxing Day through to back to uh, Black Friday window is a critical time for retail sales. And uh, if we don't see... Uh, stores open soon, there's increasingly permanent damage, and we're concerned about that, of course. Any concern about businesses who might decide to open on a, may we call it a rogue basic basis and ignore some of these public health orders, John? I think by, you know, uh, the high percentage of stores have done their very best to understand what they're generally pretty complex health orders. They're, from my perspective, the most complex orders across Canada to understand the nuances, what's essential, what's not, uh, that uh, has been designed. And so I think that we're seeing most retailers go well above what is expected of them when it comes to cleaning and distancing and other protocols to respect what they understand is the, the best guidance. And in terms of the number of businesses that will simply not reopen because they haven't survived, any idea how many businesses have have fallen uh, during this level red? We're, you know, with Stats Canada and our data, we're always a couple months behind in Canada. Uh, U.S. is month by month. and uh, but, uh, uh, but we're looking at that 5 to 10% uh, that w- we have on uh, a watch or are well aware of uh, just aren't going to reopen locations. And it's not only permanent closures. It may be a decision just not to uh, open Manitoba stores any longer if, uh, uh, if because they've been closed so long. And they'll focus on areas where, st- like across Western Canada, retail has been able to operate continuously just under restricted capacity and where Manitoba stores and many of them, you know, fat apparel, uh, for example, has been closed uh, for 67 days now. John, before we let you go, are you frustrated that it's 6, you know, 7 a.m. on a Friday of the day these orders technically expire and we don't know what's coming next you know uh i I get that it's a it's a complex document uh what we see in other provinces is uh, notification five seven days out there's an understanding that businesses have to adjust and in fact uh premier penny in alberta just came out yesterday saying that he he's committing a, a full week's notice to to sectors impacted by health orders um so that business can adjust get staff back get inventory in place and so uh, we're hoping that Manitoba, and frankly, we've heard that they're committed to trying to improve the advance notice. <laughs> a waiting on the day of is uh, is a little irritating. John Graham is the Director of Government Relations for the Retail Council of Canada, joining us live on 680 CJOB. John, thank you for the time. Thanks so much. Have a great day. We are going to head to Atlanta, Georgia, to visit with one of our favorite regular guests, Greg Milt Stiegel. And let's face it, Georgia's been in the spotlight for a few weeks now, from the phone call Donald Trump placed to the Secretary of State in Georgia about the election results in that state to Tuesday's two-runoff election. 
for the state's two Senate seats. The results were supposed to be the big story Wednesday. I think Loren, at least one B after what was on the agenda at the U.S. Capitol and the joint session of Congress uh, convened to certify the presidential election results. But we all know what happened Wednesday afternoon. And by the way, Georgia did elect two Democratic senators in their runoff elections to give the Democrats control of Congress, the White House, and the Senate. So that leads us to where we are right now, where we we both spotted a post on Twitter by Milt that caught our attention. And it was a shared note that he shared from the president of his son's school about what happened in Washington Wednesday. And that note that went out from the president of his son's school read in part, Dear Woodward community, yesterday our democracy experienced a serious blow. Like you, I watched in horror, disbelief, anger, and indignation as the institutions of our government were attacked, aided, and abetted by our elected and appointed leaders. We should all be aggrieved by what happened, as it was reprehensible. At Woodward, we prize the exercise of critical thinking and ethical problem-solving, commitments we saw in short supply yesterday. Today, especially, we must recommit ourselves to these twin values as we help our students process what they have witnessed. Let us give them space to voice their own fears and anxieties. We should be especially attentive to our black students who are processing the realities of the double standard we witnessed in the treatment yesterday's rioters received compared to Black Lives Matter protesters just months ago. This letter from the school to parents says... Let us be mindful that democracy is a fragile and precious construct that requires not only respect for a governing code like the Constitution, but decency, integrity, a sense of fair play, and commitment to the truth. That letter was shared by Milt Stiegel, uh, sent by the head of his son's school, and we are pleased to welcome Milt on now this morning. Good morning, Milt. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're well, thank you. And, and normally we talk to you about all sorts of subjects, uh, melt football, the hospitals, the lotteries, lots of fun stuff, but uh, not a lot of people laughing these days. And I'd like to start with just what was going through your mind as you watched what unfolded on your nation's capital just a few days ago. Well, uh, for, for me and my family, we actually didn't get the news till later on. We were driving to Cincinnati uh, early Wednesday morning uh, for a family uh, matter and so my kids were in the back doing schoolwork and my wife was asleep so there was no one who had access to any uh, uh, social media or any phones or anything so uh, once we finally stopped at the hotel we were staying in Cincinnati my wife looked at her phone she couldn't believe it so we walked into our, our hotel and, and we turned on uh, the news and we saw what was going on and, and my first thought was I can't believe these individuals are actually in the Capitol, my thing was, how did they get, and I don't curse, so, but I thought, what the fudge? How did they get in the Capitol? How, do, how did they let this happen? This is supposed to be one of the most protective uh, institutions, you know, in, in the country, in the world. How did they get into the Capitol? So that was the thing that shocked me the most. But then I started reading some, and I started looking at some of the images, some of the videos. I mean, they, they didn't have to barge in. They, the door was open for them. The gate was let open to allow them to go in. So, I mean, that, that's the most unfortunate part of this, not why, not the fact that they got in, but the fact that they were let in. And it's just, I mean, it, it, it's, it's just, it's just been going on, you know, for the last four, four and a half years and people who are surprised by it, uh, there should be some concern. Like I said, I'm, I, I, I'm, I can see why they're surprised, but they shouldn't be shocked because this has been going on and, and this man has been letting us know his game plan every single time something, something happens. Now, Milt, the reference to the Black Lives Matter movement and demonstrations in that letter is a discussion that many people are having right now. President-elect Biden made a reference to it yesterday. Why do you think we need to discuss that as we dissect what happened this week? Uh, and there are a lot of people who have been saying it. There, there, there's two Americas. It's been that way since, you know, 1619, when we first, or my, my ancestors were first forced to come here. There's been two Americas. Has it gotten better? Of course it has. I mean, slavery has ended. Jim Crow has ended. Uh, we're now starting to get more rights, but there's two still, there's two still two Americas. It's just, it's just the way it is. And there was so much division that went on these last four years. But to say that that's been amplified by what this man has done in office, I mean, I, I don't agree with that. It's just there's been more, it's been more overt, but it's always been there and it, it will continue to be there for a long term. Uh, time until there's a group of individuals 
maybe uh, over uh, a decade who decide we're not going to teach our our offspring or the people we love or the people our family or friends this way uh, of living. So uh, it's, it's just the way it is right now. It's reality. And for those who say it's not like that, I mean, there, there should be some concern because uh, they, they, we, we're all livid about what's going on right now. Milton, maybe let's expand a little bit on that notion of building some sort of common ground and creating it and finding it, because that's really our only path forward if we're going to change the narrative, if we're going to break down the divide that exists between certain aspects, political, racial, uh, gender, all sorts of different divides uh, in North American society. How do we do that? Does it require more listening than talking? Without a doubt. And, and, and I think one positive aspect of it, you have a lot of younger people who are wanting to change things. And that's going to be the reason why things change. It's not going to be the older, stubborn people. And, it's, and there's people on both sides. It's just, no, don't get me wrong. It's just not uh, white people. It, it, it's black people. It, it's everyone involved. But we have a good amount of younger people uh, from all walks of life, from all races, from all ethnicities who are willing to say, okay, we need to sit at the table and make some changes because this is not the world we want to live in. This is not the world we want our future kids or grandkids or great-grandkids to be involved in. So that's the positive aspect of it because we have too many older people. Uh, let's be honest about it, too many older white people who are stuck in their ways, who, who have uh, had these notions and this way of thinking embedded in them that they are superior to people who don't look like them. And because of that is a big reason why we're in this. But I, as I just alluded to, uh, it, I'm optimistic about the fact that we have a lot of younger people who are willing to hold hands or willing to sit at the table and discuss things to make sure uh, that when they get in a position to, to make changes, uh, to implement policies, that things are going to be different. So it's definitely uh, good to look at the future and say uh, it's going to be different than what we're going through now. Well, Milt, let's talk about the future and, and your son and that letter that came home from the school because that is the next generation you're talking about. How have you had conversations with him? We were just saying uh, earlier this morning, Milt, that you know we're trying to figure out how to explain things to our own kids. So uh, I'm curious what's taking place in your home as you try to navigate everything that's going on. Well, we talk to him, but um, we can only <laughs> uh, put so much into him. We allow him. Uh, you know, to get on the Internet, to, to watch the news channels, to watch a little bit of everything so they can form their own opinions and come back to us and ask questions because uh, we want to allow them to go out and, and, and dissect things for themselves. We just don't want it, us telling them everything that we feel. We want them to be able to understand, OK, we want you to be able to uh, do things for yourself, to, to realize and, and think about things for yourself. And then if you have questions, if you have concerns, come back to us and we can sit down at the table and discuss these things. So especially for my older son, Chase, who's 16, you know, he's really uh, understanding what's going on. He really wants to know it uh, at his school that we, we've been talking about. Uh, it's a diverse school. Uh, there's some diversity there, but it's still like more, it's 65% white. And there's been some racial tension that go, that's gone on with that school. Uh, that's why we're so happy that the president there understand what's going on. But for us, it's allowing our kids to go out there and, 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 and take in what's been going on from pictures, from reading, from listening to their peers, from listening to others who don't always uh, agree with them, and then coming back to us so we can intersect uh, what we want into them and, and discuss things and say what we think is what is right is wrong and allow them to tell us if they disagree or disagree with us and tell us what's right or wrong so they can be their own people and not be actually puppets of us. Milt Stiegel joining us live on 680 CJOB. Milt, thank you so much for the time and for uh, shining a light on this. We appreciate it, sir. All right, thanks for having me on. You guys take care. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb coming up at 1230 today. Dr. Brent Rusin, Manitoba's chief public health officer, will be holding the latest COVID-19 update. And with level red restrictions set to expire at midnight tonight, Loren, you have to imagine that we're going to get an update on exactly what's the deal with the restrictions today. Yeah, and, and because it's come down to the really the final hour here, or at least the final day, I think we can all... Uh, 
guess that not much, if anything, will change. There has been some rumblings that there might be some slight tweaking of the order, maybe some minimal adjustments. But we all know it really comes down to the numbers that we've seen. And the numbers haven't come down that much when it comes to the COVID cases and tragically with the deaths that we're seeing. And so that's really what it's all about. They've been keeping a careful eye on that. Two weeks ago today was Christmas. One week ago today was New Year's Day, and so I think we have to probably expect it'll be at least another week before we have a better sense of what the trajectory is here. But, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll eventually get that update at some point today. Now, we got a text message from Dave who brought up a number of wonderful points. I don't know if Dave, if Dave crafted this himself or if he found it somewhere, but uh, it's, it's called When You Cancel Sports. Greg, do you have that text? I don't have it in front of me. Unfortunately, I'm in the middle of a back and forth with about four <laughs> listeners right now about a couple of things that Milt Stegall said that they're, they're taking issue with. So okay. I apologize. I don't have it in front of no, me. No, no, no apology necessary. It was just sort of taking a shot in the dark. Well, I've got it here, and I'll just quickly uh, hammer through this because Dave says, when you cancel sports, you don't just cancel opportunities to compete When you cancel sports, you cancel the 15 minutes before practice when everyone is in that transition mode from class to training. That's where you see kids at their most honest. When you cancel sports, you cancel that 6 a.m. training time when an athlete is around an adult that they know cares about them. When you cancel sports, you cancel an athlete's motivation to eat healthy. When you cancel sports, you cancel goal-oriented kids' desire to work on a training plan. You cancel some students' reason to go to school at all. You cancel common ground for parents and their kids. You cancel some students' only hope of finding the right fit for college. And when you cancel sports, you cancel opportunities for adults as well. And I think he maybe there is maybe more there, but the text message cut off. Mm. But he raises some some great points, uh, even though with that that first one, where that transition mode from class to training. When I was in school. Stressed out about homework, stressed out about projects. Nothing took my mind off of all of that, yeah. like heading to the gym and playing basketball or whatever. Well, you know, uh, I, I played sports uh, most of my life and we had a rule in my house uh, that if, A, you missed a day, say you missed uh, Friday because you were sick, you didn't get to go to sports Friday night, if you had a hockey game or a football game, you weren't allowed. If you were sick and home from school, you were sick and home from sports. And for me, that meant that I went to school some days that I otherwise (laughs) may have not gone to school. And so for a lot of kids, um, sports is the thing that does get them to school. I was on the track team in high school and we practiced at 7.30 in the morning. And let me tell you, for a guy who most of the time barely got to school on time when it started at 8.50 in the morning, (laughs) to be at school and ready to run at 7.30, yeah, that was an accomplishment. And sports did that. I don't think we can expect to see any changes on that front right now, at least not in the days and weeks ahead. But, you know, as we as we move forward with this, if the numbers do come down, if restrictions are so slowly eased, I am curious what conversations are taking place in the sports world, amateur sports world, to provide any sort of semblance of any kind of season, whatever the sport might be. Is it possible that things could happen that we could play in May or June and, and soccer fields would stay open longer or baseball diamonds. I think a lot of people might be willing to do that because that is one of the things that's been greatly missed by so many. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Reminder that after 9.30, the Bad Breath Doctor with tips on how to fight back against stinky mask breath. You put on that mask and you go, ugh, like chasing myself out of this mask, but I can't take the mask off. What do you do when you can't escape your own stink? The Bad Breath Doctor is going to offer the solution. But it's Friday just after 9 o'clock, which means it's time for our weekly Gab with Gabby. Gabrielle Marchand is here. Hello there, Gabby. Good morning. I'm glad you brought up the stank breath because I've heard from a lot of people that they're now very concerned about how their breath smells. They didn't realize what their breath smelled like until they put on a mask. And and this is a common concern. So you guys are addressing it. That's great. Yeah. It's funny, though. I guess maybe in that that sense, Gabby, to get that sort of final realization, like, is this what I always smell like? Ugh, I got to take some steps to mitigate this. So we'll find out at 935. 
but in the meantime, Gabby, we want to revisit a couple of things that we talked about this week. And I know you enjoyed this when I sent it to you. Um, I think it was Monday where we talked about that candle that I saw in a show that pointed out stuff that we hate about work. And the candle said, a candle for blank meetings smells like it could have been, an, this could have been an email. And this is why I drink. So bleeping meetings. That's not the only reason I drink, but definitely one of them for sure. <laughs> so is there, so, okay. Not just specifically on meetings, but is there any sort of office behavior that you're not a fan of or, or, or office rituals or stuff you have to deal with at work? I'm going to compliment our workplace in my response because we have decent coffee. We have little Keurig pods. We do recycle them. I'll add that as well, by the way, just, just in case you're wondering, we're good to mother nature, but Tar coffee in offices. Most offices have those industrial-sized coffee makers, and the coffee is like sludge. And if you get it at the end of the day, you're basically just putting tar into your body. Caffeine tar. It looks sort of like fudge almost by the end of the day. Like, why am I? I can't even drink this. I need a spoon. And we need to do better. We need to do better. Caff- Being caffeinated is very important. I'm a huge believer in it. And I think you'd rather do better. those places not provide the coffee at all. It's almost like they're insulting you. Like they don't want you to drink it. You know, it's like or, a money saver. Or you put a buck into the cup for what? <laughs> for this? For this? You know, I think we're actually lucky uh, with our shifts because there's so few people. I mean, if this was normal times and we were all at work, there's just less people in the building in the morning and there's also less meetings as a result of, you know, being there at three or four in the morning. And so I, I feel like there's like three different sides to an office day in our job. And I don't know if that can speak to other Manitobans, right? Depending on what hour you're there might reflect on how you like your, how you know, those bad office behaviors. Mm. Well, you know, I'm reminded of anytime I hear ABCs. Or always be caffeinated. I think of Glengarry Glen Ross. So I think, you know, in sales, always be closing is the mantra. So for Gabby Marchand, it is uh, always be caffeinated. That's one of them for sure. Okay, very good. I just, uh, I'm compiling a list. ABD, always be drinking. Oh, <laughs> something. <laughs> It's a good addition that you threw on there, Gabby. Yeah, something. <laughs> uh, and what, today, Loren, of course, we've been talking about what to do when we need to pick me up, right? Yeah, we, we were talking about Mayor Brian Bowman's tweet uh, following in the footsteps. Was it the very Ontario mayor that suggested let's leave our lights on, our Christmas lights on through the Christmas season? I'm actually already full of regret for taking my tree down. Just last night, we were sitting there watching TV, and my husband and I are like, really miss that tree. It was just nice to have the lights on and the green. And so we were asking Gabby, what are the things you do to for that pick-me-up? Beyond beyond a cup of coffee, beyond your ABD, what are the things that make you more happy when you're feeling down? I cannot recommend this enough. Go for a dance party in your kitchen, in your living room. Seriously, whether you have family members who are willing to participate, goofy flailing dancing, put on a song that pumps you up, have a dance party. Sometimes mine extend to like a full half hour. I think it's a workout. It's the only exercise I'm getting in my life. And yeah, just do your your lunges, your dance punch moves. If you want to dance like Kevin Bacon, that works too. And uh, if you're frustrated, I feel like it's more conducive to happiness than, say, like punching a wall or throwing things, you know, let that anger out in your moves. Well, I think that's, uh, you know, music and and movement and distractions like movies and, and other pop culture, I think, is a good way to go. But we've also been talking this week about things we don't miss from before the pandemic. And for me, it's some of those extracurricular activities where my kids might be able to go and do those things, but I have to show for them to <laughs> in order for them to get the enjoyment out of are the things that I'm not really missing. And I mean that tongue firmly planted in cheek because I want them to go back to those things. But I'm, I'm not missing the free time that I didn't have, if that makes sense. I think that when they return, we should get you like a limo driver outfit, a cap and a smart jacket. And then you can just put it on and maybe you'll feel better about all the driving around you're doing. Well, if I look smart, uh, then I, yeah, I always smart the way my Grammy meant it. You look so smart so today. smart. What about you, Brett? What don't you miss? What don't I miss? I'm not sure if we covered this the other day, but one of the things that I don't miss, because we can't get together with our friends, so there's a lack on social media, much to my delight, of those staged fake laughing pictures. 
You know where 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 it's she she did the face. You know where the you can you look at a picture and you can tell that they're pretending to laugh or they're pretending to be like okay let's now take a picture of us while we're talking and. Yeah. Uh, I, like those at that pictures, moment, oh. while your arm was sticking out and you're doing that selfie, Brett, like as if you were like, <laughs> and turn to look at your friend while you got the camera out in front of you. Yeah, like I like hate as if them. That's, so you just faked your way through that. Yeah, I can't stand those pictures. It's just so contrived and they just irritate me. What about you, Loren? What don't you miss? I had said I don't miss people taking pictures of their food, although I do miss going to restaurants. But um, I, I, I feel like there are a couple things that I don't, miss and it it has to come down to the fact that I like as much as I miss all the activities and things we used to do there's a whole other side of me that doesn't miss them because it's been nice to slow down and so it's really that cut so weird when like even in the summer when things got back up and running and we had different things going on with the kids or and different invites for the weekend it was nice but it was so so busy and so I don't know I'm conflicted about having more choice or less choice that makes a lot of sense, especially if you have kids uh, or you have family members, you know, you have more time to spend together, share those moments, let your kids watch Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, maybe. Oh, I don't know if your kids should be watching that. Greg, what would you say about that? Definite no. <laughs> An education. Yeah, I have to say there have been new. many moments, though, in the last eight months where I've come upstairs and been like, well, I feel like, really feel like nobody should be watching this right now. <laughs> like you're just, you're sort of your, what's your, your benchmark or your rules have slipped a little bit. Right? Oh, so. Is that Django Unchained? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, we might want to turn that off. Oh, those are the closing credits. Great. <laughs> I've failed as a parent again. <laughs> Two years later, the kids are about five years older. Uh, yes. So Gabby, what, uh, when you do your dance party, before we let you go, you, you said a song that would pump you up. Do you have a staple of songs? Okay, I know it's slow and you guys have already played it once, but I love Bed of Roses. Remember, I do my lunges around the kitchen. I put on my leather pants specifically for this song and my black turtleneck. So I'm channeling. Like Bon Jovi Bed of Roses? I'm basically Bon Jovi. So you put on black leather pants? I have a pair of, I mean, they're fake leather leggings and Mm. I have a black turtleneck and then I'll slow lunge around my kitchen to Bed of Roses (laughs) with dramatic hands. And you know what? It makes me feel real good, guys. Do you have a scarf? I'm confused. (laughs) You need to add a scarf to that look. It's when you're feeling dramatic. You're letting out your frustration through your deep lunges and your connectivity to Bon Jovi. It's a great tune. I'm not going to dispute that. I just, I think I'd probably just be a puddle in my leather pants after. (laughs) (laughs) You have to cut you out of them. You have to reach out and connect with the fans in the very last row of the upper deck. Right, Gabrielle? That's a very emphatic way of being on stage. Eye contact. <laughs> Gabby Marshawn, she is the host of Global News Morning weekdays on Global from 6 a.m. until 9 a.m. Gabby, thank you for joining us as always. Thank you guys. Happy Friday. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Remember, guys, back in October, we learned some students at I believe it was Chief Pegwis School had written COVID haikus, and one of them went like this. I hate wearing masks, I have to smell my own breath, and it is so gross. Well, this week we were contacted by our old friend, the Bad Breath Doctor, on this very subject. Well, I don't know if Dr. Katz was listening to our show or not, or Brett, your memory is uh, something to behold. I I remember it now that you've read it to us. What a great Haiku, Dr. Harold Katz is the bad breath doctor. He's here with the top 10 tips on how to deal with bad breath in a mask. Happy New Year, Dr. Katz. Great to speak with you again. Happy New Year to you guys. I'm looking forward to uh, explaining how to make sure that you don't stink up your own nose by uh, exhaling into your mask. (laughs) It's very troublesome, and uh, and now it's sort of uh, it's payback time because uh, the people close to you who get to smell your breath, now you get to smell your own breath. Now you know what they're smelling. Well, yeah, we were mentioning that usually when we speak to you, it's uh, prior to Christmas or New Year's or, or right. Valentine's Day when we're intending to get close to somebody else. So now, as you say, the tables have turned. So how do we be our own best friend uh, on that one? Well, well, the problem uh, happens because the bacteria which cause bad breath, uh, they're producing sulfur compounds 
uh, chemicals like cadaverine and putrescine, you know, the smell of rotting flesh. What happens when you wear the mask, it sort of rebounds off the inside of your mask right up into your nostrils, into the uh, ganglia that sense smell right into your brain, and then pow, my God, my, my breath smells like blank. So, and, and the reality, it is, because uh, the bacteria are breaking down proteins in your mouth and producing those smelly compounds, and uh, it doesn't exhale. The problem is, because you're wearing a mask, you, you sort of screw up the natural flow of your saliva. Saliva is nature's gift to us. Uh, it contains oxygen compounds, which are the natural enemy of those bacteria. So for most people, things are, are sort of in check. Uh, the problem now with the mask, you, you sort of mess it all up. So a uh, number one tip we tell everyone is keep yourself hydrated as much as, much as possible. Drink plenty of water. Uh, stay away from alcohol. Alcohol makes the mouth dry. So if you're going to drink wa- drink a liquid, make sure it's water, not a six-pack of Molson. Uh, the alcohol in the Molson is going to make your mouth dry. And the last thing you want is a drier mouth than you already may have. So for those who are out there saying, oh, wow, my breath stinks today, I'm noticing it because of the mask, can, can, are, we, are we smelling it because of the mask? Like, is it worse because of the mask, Dr. Katz? Well, it, it's, two, or- it's twofold. One, the mask is, mess, is messing up the natural way to keep your breath fresh. Right. And secondly, it's bouncing off the inside of your mask up into your nose. And third, let me add a third thing, those sulfur particles, they actually microscopically stick to the inside of your mask. So over a period of time, you're, you're rehashing that smell over and over again, especially with those cloth masks. Uh, you've got to wash them frequently uh, with soapy water to get rid of some of the odors. Now, what we've done, we have a, a formula called TheraBreath. It's a mouthwash uh, and toothpaste and mints. And what they use is an oxygen compound, uh, very similar to what uh, naturally is in your saliva. The oxygen in the TheraBreath gobbles up the sulfur. It also stops the bacteria from creating the odors in the first place. And fortunately, uh, in your neck of the woods, the TheraBreath is available at Shoppers and at Walmart. Uh, Amazon.ca has it. Uh, all, all the stores have it. And what it does, again, it keeps your mouth very moist for over 12 hours. The oxygen works, and it just gobbles up everything, whether it's onions, garlic, uh, uh, pizza, whatever you've eaten, it's going to gobble up that odor and keep you, keep you nice and moist. You mentioned alcohol, and of course, during yes. the pandemic, uh, alcohol consumption has gone up, in many cases, way up. So is that part of the, the, one of the big reasons why a lot of people maybe are experiencing or noticing that their, their breath is like particularly bad? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, the alcohol consumption, because people are depressed, you know, they're sitting at home and uh, to have to talk to their wives. <laughs> my wife, my wife's not in the room, but she can't hear that. So you get a little, you get a little depressed after a while of seeing the same people over and over again. Drinking the alcohol is a problem, but more so, many people think those strong mouthwashes are going to keep their breath fresh. Most of those very strong, old-fashioned mouthwashes have up to 27% alcohol. That's more than a bottle of wine. So using old-fashioned mouthwash is not going to help. But even more so, people think, well, I've got to keep my breath fresh. I'm going to suck on a candy. I'm going to chew some sugar, sugar, sugarless gum, or sugar, gum with sugar in it. And the sugar feeds the bacteria as well. So you've got to stay away from sugar. Another food product that happens to be a problem are dairy foods. Dairy foods contain very dense proteins which have sulfur compounds in their amino acids. So a lot of foods have, have problems as well. And that's why, again, drinking plenty of water, looking for fruits and vegetables which have a lot of liquid in them, berries, strawberries, apples, oranges, things like that to keep your mouth very, very moist. Now, kind of boor- this is un- un- Dr. Un- Katz, sorry to interrupt, but you basically listed all the good things. So we just take all the good things out of our life and we'll have better breath. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, you've got to stay from the alcohol, but eating fruits and vegetables are very, very important. Now, you did mention about being depressed, and, and on a serious note, a lot of people are taking medicines, whether it's for depression, antihistamines, things like that, and many of those medications have dry mouth as a side effect. So it's very important if you're taking medications, you have to increase your water intake to overcome the side effect of the dry mouth. And especially up in cold areas, well, where you guys are up in Canada, I'm in L.A., but in Winnipeg, you know, people may be taking uh, antihistamines uh, this time of year. Antihistamines are notorious for making the mouth dry, makes your saliva very thick and sticky, and that's prone to creating more bad breath as well. Dr. Harold Katz is the bad breath doctor. And Dr. Katz, I'm holding in my 
left hand, the TheraBreath dry mouth lozenges. And whenever these come into the studio, we fight over these things. So I'm happy that the, the last shipment came in pandemic times. I don't have to share these ones with anyone. You have your own box, Brett, I'm assuming? I do, and there's one here for you too, Loren. Fantastic. So Also the first I'm just hearing of this. I'm working from home, Dr. Katz, so I just wanted to point that oh, out. You are. Okay. Well, what I'd like to do, I, I'd like everyone in your neck of the woods to have uh, free products. So I have a toll-free number. Uh, call the number. We'll send some free samples. It's 800-557-9541, 800-557-9541, and we'll send all your listeners uh, some free TheraBreath products. How's that sound? Then everyone will be kissable. Well, that sounds great. Well, these lozenges are great, and I've been raving about them and appreciating them for probably five, six years now since we first started oh, speaking with you. But one of the things, I, I, I told this story years ago, about um, the tongue and how important the tongue and keeping the tongue is, uh, keeping oh it gosh. clean is. And I think, Loren, you've admitted that now when you brush your teeth, you can't help but uh, but to brush your tongue because yeah. we well, discussed this a couple of years ago. It's very important. Your tongue is more or less like those shag carpets from the 70s, except mine's not avocado green. It, it's made up of fibers. They're called papillae. The bacteria, because they're anaerobic, which means they can't, be, they can't live in the presence of oxygen, they hide in between those fibers deep down in the pile, so to speak. So you have to keep your tongue clean. What we recommend is take a soft uh, nylon toothbrush, uh, put some of the TheraBreath toothpaste on it, and then very gently brush your tongue. What that does, it gets rid of the, uh, the sulfur scum that sort of rises to the top, but it also introduces the oxygen to the tongue, and that will keep your tongue nice and pink. One of the ways that you can actually judge if your breath is fresh or not is you stick your tongue out in front of a well-lit mirror. If it has a white or yellowish coating on it, stay home. Nobody wants to smell your breath because that's a sign you're overproducing the sulfur compounds. A pink, shiny tongue is a sign that your breath is fresh and that you're kissable. So also there's something here, and Greg, this uh, ties into your your satin floss that we got from Arthur uh, for Christmas uh, when he sent that as a joke with the, the Christmas card. But I did use that floss. It's actually really good floss. Uh, so um, flossing twice, three times a day, you suggest, Dr. Katz, can also help fight back against bad breath, in particular mask breath. Oh, very important because food particles do stick in between your teeth, and the only way to get rid of it is by flossing, by getting something in between the teeth. Uh, what we recommend if you do have a bad breath problem is dip some of the floss into the TheraBreath rinse, and that will get the oxygen as well in between the teeth. So you've got to keep your teeth clean, the interdental spaces, you've got to keep your tongue clean. Now, many of your listeners may have something called tonsil stones. <clears throat> now, what those are, and your listeners may, rec- may recognize this, they're sort of little round balls that get stuck inside your tongue. Uh, what it is, it's a combination of mucus as it drains down the back of your throat, and uh, over time they will gather into these uh, sort of smelly little uh, concretions, which uh, I can't even describe the smell over the radio, but they smell pretty bad. What we recommend is gargle twice a day with a TheraBreath rinse if you have that, and that will dissolve those uh, tonsil stones or tonsillolis over time. So uh, if your listeners have that problem, we have a solution for that as well. Well, Dr. Katz, we always like talking to you. Too bad we couldn't see you in person. I know that you came to see us one time uh, in the studio and you brought your, your device. Can you maybe just tell us again how that worked? It was uh, Explain this device that you have oh, sure. that measures it's- one's bad breath. Yeah, it's called a halometer. And what it does, it has a sensor in it which, which registers the concentration of volatile sulfur compounds, primarily hydrogen sulfide, which is the rotten egg smell. That's what some of the bacteria are producing. Uh, you put a straw on the end of it, you stick it inside your mouth, open up your mouth, and it sucks up some of your breath air. And over a few seconds, it gives a reading in parts per billion. Anything above 100 parts per billion means your breath sucks. That's a technical term we use. Uh, so, and it goes up to 2,000. Uh, the highest reading we ever had was 1,800. That was a physician I treated in Sacramento, California. He uh, drank two bottles of wine a day and smoked two packs of cigarettes. So his patients were complaining they couldn't get near him. His breath smelled so bad. And we were able to help him out with a TheraBreath product. So it's a very uh, accurate device. We use it in our clinics to see if people are imagining they have bad breath or if they in- indeed have bad breath. And over a period of time, you can actually measure the improvement in their breath 
And what I typically do on a TV interview, and in fact, I actually did a TV interview with Hamilton, uh, Ontario, this morning. Uh, I ate an onion. Uh, you take one little bite into an onion, you get about 600 on the machine. Uh, you rinse with the TheraBreath rinse for about five or ten seconds. Uh, you measure it again, and you get below 100 pretty rapidly. It gobbles up that sulfur immediately. Well, Dr. Katz, the bad breath doctor, always a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate the tips. Yeah. No, sure, and you guys smell great. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> yes, that's right. We just had a listener text to say their mouth is getting watery in disgust just <laughs> thinking about the bacteria in the mouth. So I, we're all we're all doing some what is it self reflection at this moment? The old <laughs> that doesn't <test>. work. <laughs> and that number again that he gave, uh, if you want to uh, sample uh, this generous of Dr. Katz, 1-800-557-9541. And I just want to quickly also revisit uh, the, the joke that he made. You know, he made the joke about having to be depressed because you're, you you got to talk to your wife. But, I mean, that that is a genuine a thing, I think, for probably a lot of people. I live alone, but if you live in a household and those are the only people that you can see, you're probably getting tired of seeing the same people. Greg, is I, I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but are you getting tired of your family? Uh, no, <laughs> not at all. Listen, when you're used to being at work for eight, nine, or ten hours, being away from the house, and then maybe you come home and you have a couple hours to yourself, and then you go and you get your kids, and I was used to kind of seeing my family in shifts, it was spread out very nicely, and now it's a high concentration of of family. It, it, it's a big difference, and they have to get used to your grumpiness and how you express it and your happiness, and etc. It's not easy. There is some absolute truth to that, and it's 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 not a mean thing. I just think it's a it's a real thing, Loren. I mean, you've been home for nineteen months now with all the same people <laughs> since two thousand seven. Like. <laughs> it's probably been a little tougher for you, but I, no. I, I can relate to that that sentiment. I actually think you know it, the the big difference would be uh, the spring versus now. So my kids are still in school; they're, they're at the age they're still in school. I I have heard from a lot of parents who have one or two kids home who are in the older age group about the fact that there's just no alone time anymore. There's not a single moment if you're working from home and your kids are, are at home that you have for yourself. And then there's no place for you to go. Like there's no gym option or movie option or out for a drink with a friend option. So I'm wondering how many people have created like little, little caves somewhere that they hide in or go to the bathroom 19 times a day just to take a break. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was talking to uh, one of my friends the other day and she said, I just want to get my husband out of the house for a few hours. <laughs> I'm so tired of him. So <laughs> well, and uh, this is 40 with Paul Rudd. He's constantly in the washroom playing Candy Crush. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm trying to think of, I love the, the woman that plays his uh, wife uh, on that movie. And she's like, really? You've been in here nine times today. You really need to go and see a doctor. And basically it was his acknowledgement that this is the only place I can get some time to myself. Uh, that movie for its apt this depiction of how life can get sometimes. I think it's man. Is it uh, Leslie Mann? Debbie yeah. Ma- Leslie Leslie Mann, Mann who yeah. I just adore. Yeah. Great movie. Hey, thanks for listening to the start podcast. We are available on Apple podcast, Google podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.